Welcome to Healthcare Du Jour, where we dish up and digest the latest in healthcare. For the next 30 minutes, sit back as we bring you insight, commentary, and discussion on trending topics to the table, all expertly served up by our host and his guests. Now, here's your host, Matt Fisher. Welcome back, and thank you for joining as we dive into the hottest topics in healthcare. I'm your host, Matt Fisher. On the menu today is Daniel Lynch, president and founder at Medical Bill Gurus. Daniel, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you. So what I always like to do before getting into the main part of my conversation is to give my guests a chance to provide more of an introduction in terms of who they are and what they do. So Daniel, the floor is yours. Oh, thank you so much. So uh, Daniel Lynch, originally from Florida, still living in Florida. Um, I'm originally a structural mechanical engineer who I love solving problems. I love looking at things that just there is no solution because you got to make it. And when my parent, my dad passed away in 2015, I had a moment where I was like, what is my purpose? Like, I want to solve problems that could help someone like my family, help my father. And my family growing up uh, filed bankruptcy for medical bills. The system just failed us on every aspect. And medical bill gurus emerged out of that, um, where I just, I was going through the streets of Denver where I lived at the time. And I was like, what what can I do? What, why do I have these gifts, these skills? And medical bill gurus came, is what emerged from that, where we help people um navigate a broken healthcare system, whether it's negotiating medical bills, helping them get insurance coverage for treatments that are not covered by insurance or outside the scope of conventional medicine. Um, we're here to help patients with dynamic solutions and, and in honor of my family, help as many others as I can out there so that they do not go down the same path of bankruptcy and financial ruin by just trying to be healthy and enjoy their lives and have a happy, healthy family. No, I think that's amazing. And you already kind of answered my typical second question, which is what what first got you into healthcare. But I guess I'll modify it slightly and ask, you know, as you started to pursue that, uh, you know, the passion project, it sounds like around medical bills, what surprised you the most about you know, getting into and actually providing services within healthcare? Yes. So, you know, coming from the engineering world, I think everything should have a proof. You know, one plus one equals two, right? A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Pythagorean theorem. Everything should have a rhyme and reason to justify how do you get this number? Where did that number come from? And what blew my mind is as an engineer, I could do some of the most complex calculations and write automations before AI was even an option, but I could not figure out an average person's medical bill looking at the explanation of benefits. And it's by design, you realize, right, that when you look at that explanation of benefits, the only thing that they want patients to cling to is look at how much we're billing for this to justify that premium. But at the end of the day, how has it come out to give them this amount that they're due that is putting the burden on them, right? The deductible, the max out of pocket, the co-insurance, in-network versus out-of-network. How do those all mesh together? What I realized is there is no formula because it's whatever the managed care contract says that's hidden behind a glass, a black box, right? And that it's nearly impossible for the average person to figure out if I hurt myself and I need to go to the emergency room, how much is that going to cost me? You don't know other than to cling to one thing, whatever your deductible is, right? And for the average person in America today in 2023, that's easily on average five to $10,000. And that the moment someone sees those doors open, they have to make a decision. Is it worth me going? Because I can't afford that right now, especially in current economic times. And what really blew my mind going even further than that, right, is how healthcare is defined by insurance reimbursement and not quality of care. 
You talk to the average doctor, they're a victim of the system too, because they're just trying to keep the lights on and see as many patients as they can, because when they look at what their reimbursement rates are for Medicare in particular, it could be pennies on the dollar compared to what they should be getting for those credentials, that education, that experience. And so looking at that, if someone is making these major life-altering potential decisions to have, what should they do for cancer? What should they do for a major procedure? A heart attack, right? You know, the doctors are limited of how much time they can spend with the patient because it has to be billable to the insurance, right? And what really blew my mind more than anything, I tell you, is that medical bill gurus is very involved in um, non-participating medical providers that in the last 10 years, there is a surge of people who are looking for one thing, concierge personalized medicine, where insurance is not part of the equation, right? Because when, when they're really complexly sick with stage four cancer, maybe mold toxicity or autoimmune disease, environmental disease, right? They need a doctor who's going to go down the rabbit hole to look at root causes and look at things that are not within the conventional scope, maybe even using diagnostics for labs that are not covered by insurance. And so a medical book guru is a large population of people that we serve are those who seek integrative care at non-participating medical providers because they want to go away from mainstream conventional medicine and seek therapies that may be non-toxic, more holistic, but ultimately still have a medical doctor involved who's licensed, who's looking at all aspects of the equation and not just what's covered or reimbursed by the insurance. Yeah. So I think there's a lot to unpack there. And probably what will be helpful is just to kind of level set and you know define, I think, some of those key terms or uh, phrases that you're using. So I guess the first one I want to start with is, you know, at the beginning, you were talking about medical bills and EOBs or explanation of benefits. So as I said, to help kind of level the playing field, can you explain what each of those are and what the differences are between them? For, for explanation of benefits, what was the other one? And medical bills. On medical bills, yes. So a medical bill is typically the itemized statement or some type of list of what did you have done, right? Um, for most people, just so you know, they don't give you an itemized statement unless you request it. And I tell everybody, if you get a significant medical bill, um, they're just going to send you, this is how much you owe and maybe a couple of line items or whatever. And then you're supposed to cross-reference that with your EOB if your insurance is in the picture. And EOB is the explanation of benefits. What that is going to do is show what the insurance reimbursed, paid, or what was applied towards your deductible or what they didn't pay as it's defined per your uh, benefits under policy. So if you have a, um, let's say you go to the hospital for a major surgery, right? Like a knee surgery, let's say. Well, if your deductible is $5,000, I can tell you right now, you're going to hit that right out of the gate, right? Because they're going to probably hit you for 5000 for the deductible before you even go into the surgery potentially, right? And you're going to have all the other expenses until you reach your max out of pocket. And so all of those different items should be laid out on the explanation of benefits. But I tell everybody, and I encourage this, ask for an itemized statement, look for duplicate billing. And there's an estimate that seven out of, was it, it's like, it's like seven or eight out of every 10 medical bills have errors in them, right? Duplicate charges, overbilling, uh, things that you weren't even doing that are being billed, right? And it ultimately, the worst part about that is it doesn't even matter because they're still going to make you pay your deductible either way, right? So if you remove all that stuff out of it, 
you are still going to be in a position where the goal is for you to meet your max out of pocket and to pay as much as you can out for the year um, with our conventional medical system, especially if you go to the hospital or the emergency room. It's going to happen no matter what, unfortunately. Yeah, and so kind of with that breakdown, it sounds like, and I think where part of the confusion probably starts to enter is that oftentimes you'll see that EOB before you actually get the bill, right? And it, you know, do you think kind of from your perspective, is that almost done intentionally to drive up the confusion that can arise around this whole process? Well, the EOB is a way for you to feel like the insurance is doing their part, right? You're seeing that you had $100,000 in treatment done, right? And that's what they're going to pay out. Um, but you're just responsible for 15 of it, right? But what people don't see on the back end is that they negotiate rates and they write off a lot of stuff. So they may say it costs $100,000 plus. The provider may be forced per, per the managed care contract, right? To take a discount and maybe take, let's say, 30000 right? So in reality, you're paying for half of that surgery, 15 k your deductible, your max out of pocket. And another trick that I've seen just with surgeries, right? And I, I had this happen to me with a knee surgery I had in Texas, where when I was under anesthesia, they had an out-of-network provider come into the room and provide a service. And then I got another bill for three grand from that, which did not go towards my in-network deductible. It went towards my outer network deductible, which is different. And they do not overlap on most policies. Some they do. And I had to pay that. And I was like, I got to pay this bill. But what people should know is that in certain states, there are laws that protect against that. That doesn't mean they're not going to try anyways. But that's why before you pay a bill, always do your due diligence. Every dollar you work for is a dollar. It could be for your family or to pay down debt or to save for the future. And everyone is not in your best interest financially, especially in the healthcare system, unfortunately. Yeah, and kind of given all that, and as you said, you're focusing on helping individuals or you know, patients understand what's happening. You know, what are the key pieces of information that you should be looking at when you get the bill or the EOB to begin to parse through what's being done? Well, you know, the average the average person is not going to understand ICD or you know billing codes or whatnot, right? They'll be on there. There's going to be modifiers on there. You're not going to know what those are either, right? What I usually tell people is get the itemized statement from the provider, right? And then get the explanation of benefits and look for just glaringly, obviously wrong things, right? Maybe dates of service that you weren't actually there, items that may have a description that are just blatantly wrong. Um, and ultimately, just, you know, the numbers, a lot of people get very emotional being like, they overcharge me, X, Y, Z. You're never going to be able to argue that they're overcharging, right? They can charge you whatever they want. And they're going to say it's per your contract with your insurance. And so at that point, when you have those two pieces of information, Depending on the quality of your policy, I would call your um, insurance company and ask for a patient representative or an advocate to help manage the account and to be the middleman between you and the provider. Because if you call the provider, you're going to go to the collections department and those people are just numb because they're used to like people who have medical bills, right? It's not a fun job. But if you have the insurance involved, they can maybe stand on the leg a little bit more to help look at things. And you're like, yeah, that was double billed or go through it. The best case scenario, okay, is if someone has a really good employer, a Fortune 500 company, um, and more importantly, a labor union where they have a dedicated rep with a dedicated 1-800 number where they have their benefits, where because you work for that company and they want to take care of their employees, 
that they're going to get better service to get things taken care of. I'll use an example. I have a, I had a client of mine. He was a Delta pilot, right? And when he had an issue with his medical bill and his insurance was fighting him on it, right? He called the 1-800 number, which was to a captain, right? That represented the labor union. And he says, you know what, man? I just want you to know one thing. Don't worry about it. They never say no to me. And he never heard from it again, right? And so it's, you know, not everybody has access to those resources, but you never know if you don't try, right? And so I always encourage people, before you get emotional, don't get upset. It does nothing. Don't argue with them. Try to always cling to the numbers and find a proof and equation that they have to prove what they did. And then you can back check it because no one can argue with numbers. And then always ask them, well, where did you get those inputs? What are the dynamic variables, right? Dynamic variables are the cost of things the dates of service, the quantity, you're never going to know how many medical supplies they use because they that's kind of, you know, X, Y, Z, it could be anything, right? But if something looks blaringly wrong, right? Like, did you get some type of imaging? No, maybe you didn't do that imaging, right? Did you do IVs? No. Well, if you didn't do an IV of saline or hydration in the ER, but you're being billed for it, you know, that's something to be wary of. I had a case um, of a girl in Denver when I was when I was living in Denver that was on the news there where she got bit by a dog and went to the ER and got this like huge bill and they never even sutured her or did anything other than a consultation, but they still put all these line items that amounted to $5,000. And you're like, but we just sat there, right? You know, that's something you could look at and be like, huh, I'm like, something doesn't smell right, right? Because it's very obvious you weren't hooked up to anything. You didn't take any medicines, right? And they're going to try to bill for everything. The Advil you take, the ibuprofen, the Tylenol, because by law, the nurses have to log that. And you better believe everything that goes into the log on the EMR and the medical record system is then given to the billing department. And they're going to do what they're paid to do, which is find money, you know? Yeah, no, kind of to your point, it's you know, the last one, you know, I think it's well kind of unfortunately joked about is the EMR is really just a fancy billing system. It's not actually designed to help with care delivery. But for those of you just joining, I'm talking about Daniel Lynch from Medical Bill Gurus about medical bills and understanding them and fighting them. And it's, you know, Daniel, to the point you're just making of gathering the data or pointing out, you know, asking for proof of what was being done. So do you recommend that individuals kind of maintain the proof on their side? Or is it you're pushing um, for to get get that support proven for the bill to, you know, either prove the positive or prove the negative? Well, you know, the best thing they can do, first of all, right, is wait till they get a bill, right? So sometimes people will be like, I just want to know how much it is. Like, you know, wait for the insurance to do their part, which could take, you know, 45 to 90 days to process it, right? If you have a secondary insurance, another 45, 90 days, right? But don't overreact or get emotional until you get the bill. When you get the bill, right, you should also get an explanation of benefits about the same time, Right maybe even before with the insurance saying, this is how much you owe. And then you should get an itemized statement from the collections department or someone in the accounts receivable at the provider saying, you owe us this amount, right? If that amount is drastically different than the EOB and just looks completely off, 
Well, then it should set off an alarm, a red flag in your head. We need to investigate, right? And at that point, get the itemized statement, right? And at that point, you kind of have the three pieces of information that are all you can really work with. The only other thing you could get other than that that I haven't mentioned is medical records, but I don't think you want to go through your medical records and try to true them up because that's probably not going to be too accurate either. But considering it should have gone through the EMR, it should align if you want to go with your highlighter and your microscope. But like, you know, I, I don't know if that's really going to get you the information or the, the, the argument you need to get justification. At that point, I always just recommend if it's a bill that doesn't look right, it's too much, it's not something that seems justified, call your insurance and talk with them because they're going to have access to the managed care contract. They're going to be able to look at the rates. They're going to know what actually happened on the back end in the black box. I'm not sure if you're going to really be able to get that information, but it's very important that you get all the relevant data points, look at the potential scenarios or outcomes, and then look for resources, right? And that's where Medical Bill Gurus comes in too, is that when people feel like they're kind of in a situation, they're out of pocket, they got a big bill, that's where they reach out to us to see if we could potentially help them to some extent. But, um, you know, at Medical Bill Gurus, we're seeing a huge trend of people spending a lot of money, cash out of pocket more than anything right now. Right. I mean, it's, it's after COVID and people are seeking integrative medicine more than ever. It's it's the majority of our business on and off, depending on what part of the year it is. But since COVID, it's becoming more and more. Yeah, and kind of as you see those problems and if you start to report an error, you know, as you said, contact your insurance or you know, start the process. You know, how long should people expect the it take, expect it to take to actually get to some type of resolution? You know, obviously a, a beneficial one where maybe the bill gets reduced or, you know, knocked down in some degree. But, you know, again, how long does that entire resolution process potentially take? You know, it takes from zero to 100, right? Because it's all based on the quality, right? If, you, if you're a pilot at Delta or a flight attendant, you probably can get it done the same day. Um, but if you're, you know, on the exchange on a state-based or government plan program, you're going to be in the mix of this for a while. And for those people who are kind of on the lower tier quality insurance plans, right? Because, you know, I'll be honest, I'm self-employed, right? I can't go get a Cadillac plan through a labor union. So I'm, I'm a victim of this myself, right? The number one thing you should do in those scenarios when you need to like figure out and it's taking forever, call the collections department and say, this is processing. It's being investigated. This is not, I do not want this to be in the 90 day accounts receivable timeframe because then you could potentially go to collection, like true collections, not the collections of the provider, the accounts receivable, but you're going to be pushed to something that could impact your credit score. So that's also really important is because once that debt leaves the provider to the collections agency, then that's a, another big nightmare, right? Because at that point, it's even harder to pull it back, right? Because the insurance company can't negotiate with the collections department, they can only negotiate with the provider. And at that point, the, the collections company is coming after you. So that would be my biggest comment on the timeline is make sure it doesn't leave the provider and go to a collections agency because then at that point we can't even really help, right? Because we could, I mean, it's just about negotiating with the collections agency and that's how they make their money. So they ain't going to give up easy. Yeah. And to that point, you know, is it easy to get the practice to not send it out or, you know, kind of what uh, backup might they ask for for the individual to demonstrate that it's going through a dispute process? Well, that's where the insurance company would be very helpful, right? Because you have to give a reason why you need more time, right? If you don't have insurance and your cash pay, well, you don't really have a leg to stand on, right? But if you say that your insurance is reevaluating and reprocessing 
it, and the insurance company maybe reaches out to say, hey, we're trying to refigure this out, then that would give them the justification to put a hold on it or to keep it from transitioning to the next step of the process. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. It's, you know, because I think as you're saying, it's you want to get all the wheels going in, in motion at the same time, um, because it sounds like the more you're able to get different parties talking, the more likely it is to proceed to some type of resolution as opposed to if you're trying to keep it all in your hands uh, by yourself. Yes. Yeah. And that's where, you know, we're a resource, you know, where we try to help people any way we can navigate the system. But, you know, there's a lot of patient advocates and I tell people, I say, you know, sometimes you need someone. I'm a bulldog, man. I was fighting with my family my whole life. You know, I, I got arrested because I told the doctor what I really thought of him when he was treating my family. Right. You got to fight for yourself. Right. And when people are down with their health, society pushes them to the curb because they don't have the energy, willpower, or health to fight when they have stage four cancer. If they're doing chemotherapy and radiation, they don't have time to be on the phone with the insurance company dealing with this stuff. It's a nightmare. Yeah. And kind of given all those factors of, you know, it's a situation where there is, you know, designed opaqueness and, you know, the process can become really difficult. Do you see any reforms that might be percolating the system or you know, are there reforms that you would like to see occur to, you know, hopefully minimize these problems from occurring? I'll be honest, right? I'm I'm an engineer. I'm um I'm a business guy, right? And I, I look at things from you can't make a change in a system unless there's good business to justify it, right? Because that's how the gears turn, right? And in my personal opinion, our entire healthcare system with insurance will never be fixed and it will never change. The only way that I think healthcare will move in the right direction is for innovative business models, which is what I really work a lot with with medical bill gurus, that bypass the insurance company for cash-based care, which doesn't sound like the best solution, but guess what? We need an outcome-based healthcare system where providers are incentivized on how the patient actually gets better versus the sicker they are, the more profitable they are, right? Our system is completely upside down. Whether it's billing codes, deductibles, this and that, nothing is going to change until we actually focus on why people are going to the hospital so much. Prevention, lifestyle, right? But the reality is none of that's going to change, right? And that when you look at the average medical billing software, you look at the average way that a practice is run with insurance, everybody's handcuffed to each other. There is nothing they can do to change it if they're in that system. And the only way to break the handcuffs and break the mold is to go to cash-based healthcare and look for innovative um, you know, insurance plans that might adapt to that, right? A good example of that is Christian Healthcare Ministries, if you're familiar with them, Liberty Healthcare, MediShare, where they basically are communities that pay premiums to each other. So every year, your every month, your premium goes to someone who has a medical bill and pays their medical bills. And some and these insurances will reimburse 100% for out-of-network integrative care. Um, that is usually very expensive, you know, and most insurance companies struggle to cover it, right? Which is what we specialize in, but they see the value in outcome-based medicine that if we get someone better sooner, they're less of a burden on the system. But what is our healthcare system? What is their angle, right? Do they want that? They want more people paying premiums. They, you know, it's it's an upside down, right? Because doctors are not able to get good reimbursement rates unless they're in a large group, such as a hospital, right? And then we've all heard the horror stories of how hospitals operate and the profitability is what they're chasing. It's completely upside down, right? 
And so, you know, my 10 cents is like, I don't know if things will ever change because why would they, when this is how people are paying their bills, right? On the flip side, and it's very profitable. And you know how many middlemen are in there? Medicare is the only insurance that can't negotiate rates with pharmaceutical companies. And they will pay next to nothing for a lot of stuff, but for pharmaceuticals, they pay the highest, right? And you're like, oh, you know, it's like, where do we go from here, right? When you see that from my instinct, right? And just my knowledge of just how the world really works versus smoke and mirrors, it's not, it's not even worth fighting that battle. It's it's about pioneering something different, a different frontier to go down that helps people in different ways. And that's what I'm a big fan of crypto. And I've actually looked into decentralized healthcare insurance companies, right? Where if you had something on the blockchain that incentivized a doctor to maybe get an airdrop, if someone doesn't have cancer and shows no signs of disease, they get paid more than billing them $30,000 every time they have chemotherapy, right? Uh, it's completely upside down. Yeah, no, I, mean, I think it's a great point that you know, the, the system is certainly set up to operate the way it's operating. And that's, you know, oftentimes a lot of the criticism around what's going on in healthcare right now, because you know, I think to your point, it's even if you're trying to drive some type of change, the system blocks it because it, it you know, arguably it's functioning the way it's intended to be functioning. Yeah, well, COVID changed a lot of that. I'll tell you that right now, because with integrative clinics and cash bay, I've seen them 4X since COVID because more and more people are finding that what they were doing before is not helping them. But when they go try a high dose vitamin C IV or an NAD IV at their local drip bar, they're like, I feel better than ever, right? But you can't go get that in a conventional doctor. It's not covered by insurance. We can build some of that out, out of network with medical bill gurus. That's what we specialize in is that IV therapy portion of some of those IVs. But it's amazing how vitamin C, which has been shown to help cancer, no one wants to put that in conventional medicine, but yet every cancer patient is due chemotherapy has shown, I feel better when I do this. And so one by one, these clinics have been popping up and people are slowly seeing the light of, wow, this actually makes me feel better. It's natural. It's holistic, but it's cash-based and it's expensive. And that's the big hurdle right now. Yeah. No, I mean, I think anytime... I mean, affordability is just a problem across healthcare, no matter what you're talking about. You know, going back to your earlier point of, you know, you see all, you know, you might get your DOB and then you know, my statement and you're still going to have to owe your full deductible. It's, you know, kind of the, the unfortunate reality is it's the entire system is arguably stacked up against an individual being able to fully access and, you know, utilize care services without worry. Yes. I mean, it's just, it's a crazy system and it, it's designed to keep you in the dark and keep your head spinning and essentially gaslight you to think that you're just not capable of understanding it when they're not giving you the information to understand it. Yeah, no, it's, you know, I think there's a lot of room for change and believe it or not, we're already almost out of time. Um, so I want to kind of finish with one final question. Um, and I think you've started to answer it, but it's, you know, if you had a magic wand, what immediate change would you make to I think radically disrupt the system and get it in the direction that you would like to see it go. Yeah, I would. Um, I would create a system that is based on patient outcomes with incentives for providers that they get paid more when someone is healthier and better over time. And I believe that that could be done using decentralization technology through the blockchain, where no one can modify it, and we have to remove human interaction and bias from the healthcare equation, because when people see dollar signs, they lose empathy in their heart. On the blockchain, you can't touch it once it's there, 
right? Once it's on a smart contract, it's game over, right? You can't change it. And if I had my magic wand, I would create an outcome-based healthcare system where people pay in monthly into some type of crypto system, right? Which is very regulated, which is very secure, right? Of course, because there's been a lot of issues with crypto. But the idea is to put money in the pod, which is then reinvested into safer funds within crypto to accelerate the growth of the capital. And that doctors would then have this bucket that they are trying to get people to pay to get better. And on the flip side, people pay less over time, the healthier they are, as long as they're not a burden on a system and give people accountability that if you go get McDonald's and eat Twinkies all day and you have type two diabetes and you have all these other health issues that emerge from it, well, you should pay more to the system because you're not holding yourself accountable versus being a burden to the system. And what it will do is only drive people who want to be accountable and doctors who want to be accountable. And we need accountability on both sides. And the only way we can do that, in my opinion, is through blockchain technology, because whenever humans are involved, they will always put greed and profits ahead of their heart and health. And no, I think a very interesting pro- potential process. We'll have to kind of see what might happen in the future. But as I said, believe it or not, we're already out of time. And I want to thank my guest, Daniel Lynch, for a great conversation today. Thank you. And thank you to everyone listening. Keep the dialogue going and connect with me at hashtag HCDEJURE. I'm Matt Fisher. Until next time. <laughs>